Let's uh, let's open with a prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we thank you once again for the great privilege it is to come together to worship you, to study your word. God, I just pray that you would be with us as we uh, consider what your word says, as we consider the the work of uh, your Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, God, just that we would understand uh, fully what it means to, to follow you, to seek to do your will. And uh, God, just that you would work in us uh, for your glory. In Christ's name. So continuing our study on um, the Holy Spirit, um, we've talked about the, uh, the the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. We've talked about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. Uh, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Jesus. Um, we've talked about the Holy Spirit uh, converting sinners uh, and how he uh, overcomes our uh, our complete inability, uh, the Holy Spirit as teacher and the Holy Spirit as sanctifier. Now this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about being led by the Spirit. Last week, um, one of the verses that we looked at, uh, Romans 8.14, says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, there's some controversy uh, over what it means to be led by the Spirit. And I think it's going to be worthwhile to consider uh, a popular notion uh, of what that means and compare it to the Scripture. Um, and I do feel somewhat like I'm walking through a minefield to examine this topic. Um, if any of you have ever studied it, you, you may understand where I'm coming from. But, you know, some of you may have already, uh, some of you may already be completely on board with the position that I'm going to present this morning. Uh, but I do want to warn you that some of you may be uh, challenged in your views by some of the things that I say. Um, and just all I can ask is that you give me a fair hearing and consider what the, the Bible teaches on this topic. Um, I should also mention that I've been greatly helped uh, by the things that Greg Kokel has said on this subject. Uh, and so if you're interested in what we talk about and you want to delve into it more, I would highly recommend that you uh, look up the things that Greg Kokel has taught on this. And uh, he's going to go into to more detail than, than I'm able to. Um, also, uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book on this topic as well, also very helpful. Um, so the controversy arises from the recognition that as Christians, we should seek to know what God's will is for our lives. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads us in understanding what that will is. Um, and that is well in itself, but the problem becomes apparent when we consider what is meant by God's will. Um, just to kind of see if you guys have any thoughts, when we consider it's like, what is God's will for our life, what what do you think we're talking about there? Does anybody have any any thoughts? Anybody considered this before? If nobody wants to venture anything, that's fine. Well, the Bible talks about 
um, God's will for our lives in different ways. Um, Ephesians 1.11, uh, Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so there, when we're talking about the will of God, uh, we're talking about something that theologians have called uh, the decretive will of God, or the sovereign will of God, or sometimes the hidden will of God. Um, it's the, the fact that God ordains everything that comes to pass. It's that he's in control of history, he's sovereign over history, um, and so everything that happens uh, in each of our lives is all controlled by God. Um, you think of uh, Psalm 139, I believe it is, where it talks about that uh, before any of my days happened, that all of them were written down uh, in God's book. Uh, just the idea that God is, his will is accomplished in history. But then we also have passages like 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so there we have a discussion of, or we have a, a statement of God's will. Um, now, is it true that all, all people, or even just all Christians, always follow God's will in this way, um, are always perfectly sanctified, always abstain from sexual immorality, or anything else that God commands? When you think even just like of the, of the Lord's Prayer, um, where Jesus tells us that we are to pray that, uh, that uh, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so there's very much a sense in which God's will is not accomplished. Um, so this is something that theologians have called the prescriptive will of God, or the moral will of God, or uh, the revealed will of God. So we have these two kind of views of what, what the Bible is talking about in, um, in our understanding of the will of God. Now, some people um, have a misconception when it comes to this topic, and they kind of shift things um, in terms of like, well, what, you know, when we're talking about the will of God, and they say, oh, yeah, there's, there's two different ways we can look at the, at the will of God, but they shift it to a little bit different where they have it be um, the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. Um, and sometimes, you know, it can sound like they're talking about the same thing. But really the idea here is that with the perfect will of God um, is that God has a blueprint for your life. Um, and that is his best for you. He's got it planned out. This is, this is what he's, uh, for you specifically as an individual, this is his perfect will for your life. Um, but you have the freedom to either follow it or not follow it. And then the permissive will of God is what God allows for you to do if you don't follow his perfect will. Um, so I, I would say that that's a misconception. That's not a biblical understanding of the will of God. Uh, but it's definitely a, a perspective that is out there. Um, and so when we come to the question of like, uh, how do we know what the will of God is? How do we follow the will of God? How is it that we're led by the Spirit to do what God has commanded us? Um, and 
it can very quickly become a, a perspective where what we're trying to find out isn't what's, um, you know, what are God's explicit commands in terms of, you know, abstain from sexual immorality, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, things like that, into something of uh, where you're asking the question, am I following God's perfect will for my life? I've got a job offer in Chicago, and I've got a job offer in L.A., um, and I need to try to figure out what's God's perfect will for my life. And so I need to somehow figure out what God's will is so that I do what God wants me to do. And if I fail to do that, I'm, I'm somehow doing something immoral because I'm not following the will of God. Um, I don't think that is a biblical way to look at the will of God, but it's a very common way uh, amongst Christians to look at the will of God. Um, just you know, asking questions, so where should I live? Uh, what should I do for a living? Who should I marry? Uh, what color of socks should I wear? Um, just you know, any mundane question people might ask. Um, and so the, the idea is that, well, we should be trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to do uh, for these things. So when we consider this, the, the decretive will of God is personal and individual, yet it's hidden. And it should never be confused, or sorry, it, sh it should never be consulted in seeking to make a decision. Uh, we can look back and see what God did, but we can't discover what God will do in our individual lives before he does it. Uh, God just does not ask us to function that way. When you consider um, what James says, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, uh, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So you can see that from James's perspective, um, the way that people are functioning, they just don't know what it is that God has planned for their individual lives. Uh, and there's no indication there that he's saying, well, what you ought to do is um, is start you know, praying that God is, will reveal to you what God has for your individual life. Uh, but he's expecting people, if they're going to behave in a godly way, to just consider, okay, this is what I ought to do, uh, and I'm going to try to do that, but realize God's individual will for my life may be different and so I can't just adamantly say, this is what I'm going to do. Um, he seems to expect that, the, that, the, uh, that Christians are not going to be able to get that information until after they've actually experienced it. Is, that, is everybody following what I'm saying? So everybody's quiet so far. Um, when we consider the prescriptive will of God, uh, it tells us what we ought to do. But it is not individualized for us. We are told how we are to live and how we are to treat our neighbor, not where, about, where each of us individually should live. Uh, we are told to work to provide for ourselves and others uh, and how we are to work, 
but not what each of us should do in terms of like what our particular occupation should be. Uh, we are told what we should consider when choosing a spouse and even when deciding whether uh, to marry at all, uh, but um, not individually who each of us should marry. Uh, we are told how we should think about being clothed, not what to wear. Um, so, biblical decision-making should be based on biblical commands, principles, and wisdom, not on impressions, feelings, uh, nudges, coincidences, or any other sort of supposed new revelation. Um, I don't know how many of you have encountered this or uh, have been, ex been exposed to this teaching or maybe even uh, live your lives this way. Uh, but there is basically this teaching that as we make our daily decisions, we should be trying to figure out what it is that God is telling us and be expecting that basically if we have an impression that pops up in our mind, um, then, well, that might be the Holy Spirit telling us that we ought to be doing something. Um, and so we need to try to learn to, to listen for this, to try to understand, well, is this God speaking to me? Is this God saying I should do this? Um, and then when we have decisions we need to make, rather than simply saying, God, give me wisdom, and trying to consider the biblical principles that apply to the question, we try to um, see if we can get a direct answer to, should I pick A or should I pick B? Uh, from uh, from God in some way. Um, does this does this all make sense? I mean, everybody's quiet. And I, I I like feedback to know that everybody's following. Does anybody have any questions about that? Is that all clear? With kind of the positions we're we're laying out here. I'm at least getting a a shaking head. So that's that's, that's something. Okay. So let's, let's look back at, uh, at Romans chapter 8. And I know we, we talked about that quite a bit last week, but let's just look at it from, from the perspective of this question. Is, is, is Paul in Romans 8 uh, telling us to be led by the Spirit in the sense of being guided in our everyday decisions in terms of, like, do A, not B? So Romans 8... Um, just beginning in verse 12 there, he says, uh, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So there, I mean, we see our terminology there being led by the Spirit. Um, what does it sound like Paul was talking about there? What's his concern? What would be the opposite of being led by the Spirit? It's living according to the flesh. Yeah, living according to the flesh. So if we if we miss um, God's direction in terms of like which job we should take, is that is that what? We should consider to be living according to the flesh. Because no, you look at the beginning of the chapter and it's talking about the sinful flesh and our, mm -hmm. of our past self. 
right? Yeah. So it's a it's really a question of like, are you obeying God's law or not? Are you are you living a, a life of, of sin where you follow the desires of the flesh? Or are you living a life where you're following what God has commanded? You're following the law of God. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Um, so it really is a question of like, are you following God's preceptive will? Are you are you following God's commands? Not are you following uh, God's individual plan for your life? Because there's no indication here that we're expected to know what that is. There's nothing in this text um, that indicates that that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Uh, very similar passage that we also mentioned last week, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Um, there... Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So there again, Paul presents this idea of being led by the Spirit. Um, is there anything in this passage that gives us any indication of what type of view he's talking about here? It's the old man versus the new man. Flesh mm-hmm. versus. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really the same type of terminology, and and the things that like were to avoid. You know, are the you know the works of the flesh that are laid out there, and the things that we are to be doing are the are the things that are the fruit of the spirit. Um, just those are just broad category, obeying the law of God and not disobeying the law of God. Um, nothing in that passage about um, following God's individual plan for your life, uh, because again, that's something that uh, I think biblically uh, is something we cannot know. Now, some would object, and they would say, well, but doesn't the Bible say, uh, doesn't Jesus say, my sheep hear my voice? I mean, doesn't that mean that we should be we should be hearing Jesus' voice directing us in how we should go? Uh, there are many people who would appeal to that and, and say, well, that's, that's what that's telling us. Um, that comes from uh, John chapter 10. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus speaking says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so if you look at that, I mean, it's, it certainly sounds like, it's like, okay, well, we're, you know, we as Christians, we're the, we're the sheep of God. Um, so we ought to be hearing Jesus' voice and following him. Um, the problem, though, is that if you look at the context, um, it's, a, it's a little hard to... Um, to, to interpret it that way. So, um, if you look back, let's see here. If you look back at, at uh, verses uh, 2 through 4, um, Jesus says, But he who enters uh, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him uh, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has uh, brought out uh, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So again, you could look at that and say, oh, well, see, you know, we're following the shepherd. We know his voice. 
we're listening to him. Um, and so it's, you know, you're, you, you have this picture here of, of the shepherd uh, and the sheep. And well, it, just, it just could really sound like um, that's what we should be expecting to be living our lives today. Um, but when you jump back up again to um, looking at verse, beginning of verse 24 here in John chapter 10, um, of course, he's disputing with some Jews. And the, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now when we look at that, does that, does that change our understanding of, of what's going on here? Does this have any... I mean, <clears throat> the, the Jews are hearing Jesus' voice directly right now. Sorry. The, the Pharisees are hearing Jesus' voice directly right now. Mm-hmm. And they're not following. Right, yeah. So it's not yeah. looking for some audible whispering of the Spirit or something like that. Right, yeah. I mean, they actually are literally hearing his voice. They can, they can actually hear it audibly. Uh, but he's saying they're not hearing him, right? Um, and the reason is... Um, you know they're not his sheep. Um, so how should we how should we understand this when he says that my sheep hear my voice? If the if the Pharisees are not hearing his voice, even though they're in a sense literally hearing his voice, what does it mean for for his sheep to be hearing his voice? Any thoughts? Understand. Understand his voice. Understanding, yeah. That's right. Understanding and believing and accepting, right? That's the idea, is that they're rejecting what it is. They don't they don't get what he's saying. Um, if you if you just look back at um, John chapter eight, um, verse forty seven says uh, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And, uh, the reasons you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Um, that again, it's the same type of thing. Uh, is whoever's of God hears the words of God. That doesn't mean you should be hearing that we as Christians should be hearing this voice in our head as we go about our daily lives. Um, you know, telling us, oh, well, you should take this route to work today or, or something like that. Um, but it's that Jesus has been teaching these people um, and they're rejecting it. In fact, just, just back up, uh, beginning in verse 42 there in chapter 8. Jesus said to them, uh, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, 
he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So, really, it's just a the, the whole discussion here in chapter 8 and chapter 10 is has nothing to do with hearing this mystical disembodied voice, um, but it has to do with the fact that what Jesus has said, um, what they heard with their own ears, and what we can read when we open the scriptures, um, either you're of his sheep, and you're going to hear it, you're going to understand it, you're going you're gonna to believe it, or you're not, and you're going to reject it. That's what that whole discussion is. Ben? Well, and, and that is due to the Holy Spirit working mm-hmm. in them. Yes. Uh, it, whether they respond in faith or not mm-hmm. to Jesus' words, which we have, as you were saying, we have recorded here in the scripture. He's not here today, still talking to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is int- intimately involved in this. It's the it's the Holy Spirit who is going to uh, who's going to break down that rejection of what God says and cause us to be people who accept what God says, to hear, to understand what God says. Um, and that's very much related to what we've talked about in the past in terms of uh, the Holy Spirit working conversion and the Holy Spirit as teacher. Um, that that's, that's really what's going on here. So to appeal to these passages, um, and I mean, particularly the one in verse 10 where it just says, you know, it's like, oh, my sheep hear my voice. And say, well, you know, we as Christians should be hearing the voice of Jesus as we go about our daily lives. Um, is just to take it completely out of context and try to make it apply uh, to something that it shouldn't apply to. Some other things that people have pointed to 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 try to defend this idea that this is the way we ought to be living our lives, uh, just being directed in all our decisions by. Uh, by special promptings of the Holy Spirit, um, is they'll point to the uh, to the the Book of Acts, and they'll say, "Well, look, look how many times like the Holy Spirit is involved, giving special revelation, uh, you know, guiding people to do certain things. You know, you know, Paul had this vision of somebody from Macedonia saying, you know, come over to us. Um, there's the passage where." Uh, Paul and Barnabas, like the Holy Spirit specifically sets apart Paul and Barnabas to go on a missionary journey. And it's like, well, you know, it's very specific things in the in the lives of the apostles that the Holy Spirit is like intervening and and saying, you know, do these things. Um, And I certainly don't want to be understood as saying that God is incapable of doing that, that he can't uh, speak to us audibly. Uh, that he can't specifically direct us in our own individual lives to do this or do that. But the question is, is that what we should expect? Is that the way we should attempt to make our decisions in our daily life? When we're, when we're seeking to be uh, led by the Spirit and following the will of God, is that the way we should function? Is to be seeking for God to give us some kind of special revelation on a personal level um, to know what we should do. Um, again, I mentioned um, Greg Kokel earlier. He, he kind of like does a little 
survey um, about uh, the you know the types of things we see in the Bible in terms of the early church uh, making decisions. And he says uh, there are many times when the disciples make decisions marking significant events in the life of the early church that are the kind many think require a word from the Lord. They entail decisions about how, when, where, why, uh, uh, sorry, the, the how, when, where, why, and who of ministry. Uh, yet there is no evidence of intervention from God and no indication the disciples even sought it. They simply weighed the options in light of the circumstances then chose a judicious course of action consistent with prior general commands of the Lord. Um, I think, you know, without like going through it all in detail, but I think that's a fair representation of what we see in the early church, both in the book of Acts and, and also in the various things that we see in the, in the epistles and so forth. Um, that yes, sometimes God did do this, but that was not what people were expecting. That was not the way that people were functioning and they were just sitting there waiting for God to tell them on every decision that they had to make or even that they were, um, you know, seeking specifically God, you know, let me know what decision I should make here. That's not the way they functioned. Um, they simply looked at what God had commanded, looked at the situation and considered what is the best thing to do. What would be, what would be the most consistent thing to do with what God has already commanded. And they considered that sufficient, um, unless God specifically spoke up and said, go do this. Um, you think of, for example, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. It's just one of many examples uh, where um, Paul goes through the pros and cons of whether somebody should get married or not. Um, I mean, that's like a huge life decision. Um, and there are you know, some people that... Uh, they will basically uh, function as if they have to get a word from God about whether or not they should get married or if they should marry an individual person. Um, Kevin DeYoung told the story in his book where uh, um, there was there was somebody who uh, was uh, at college and they were you know pursuing uh, this girl and um, you know it was like he was interested in her and. She said, "Well, you know, I've been I've been praying a lot about it, and the Holy Spirit told me no." Um, and so that was kind of you know the way she she broke it off was that she said that the Holy Spirit had let her know that um, that that wasn't uh, that wasn't to be. Now, I mean, granted, it's always possible that it's like you know the Holy Spirit was prompting her to recognize some things in this man that you know, would have been problematic. And so there's a sense in which that's possible. Um, but just the idea that, like, um, you should just expect this direct, like, yes or no answer from God on all the decisions of your life, you know, whether it be big decisions or small decisions. Um, I just don't think that that's a, really the way that we should approach it. Um Interestingly enough, oftentimes when people talk about the way that this functions in our uh, daily life, um, if you if you were to like, if for example, if if someone were to present this uh, position to you that this is the way you ought to be living your life, and you would say, well, how should I do this? Um, they would, in a sense, describe a situation where God whispers to you, uh, where God 
kind of uh, gives you these prompting promptings, uh, these nudges. Uh, you don't, you're not going to be hearing this direct audible voice uh, like we often see when God speaks to people in the Bible. Uh, but you're you're supposed to try to read these impressions that you get and try to determine uh, is this what um, is this what God is calling me to? Um, and so this is this is something that um, it's really hard to do. Um, you have to you have to practice at it. Uh, you can even be taught it. Is the position that's presented that you can be taught to understand how to how to listen for what the Spirit is prompting you to do. Um, it's interesting. This is this is one of the points that uh, Greg Kokel makes that I think is uh, is a really good one. Um, he uh, mentions 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Here Paul says that um, even uh, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, uh, if your tongue... Uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what you said or what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Now there, Paul is speaking specifically about tongues without interpretation, um, and just basically the usefulness uselessness of that, uh, because it's not really going to accomplish anything. Because people are not they're not going to they're not going to know what it is that you're saying. Um, and, but in the same way, um, often the way that this is presented in terms of uh, following what the Spirit is prompting you to do, it's very obscure and it's very hard to figure out what it is. Uh, I mean, admittedly from these people, they would, they would say, it's like, yeah, it's, you really have to work at it. You really have to try to learn how to understand what it is that God's saying. Uh, and even to distinguish between... Um, what is it that's just my own thoughts and feelings, and what is it that instead is actually the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Um, and so it seems very odd that God would be giving important instruction for how we are to live our life in such an obscure way that um, we really, it's like, it's how, how do we even follow it? Ben. Well, and, and just thinking about it too, like when God spoke to Abraham, when God spoke to these other people, he usually gave you direct commands. Mm -hmm. What was scary and confusing was he didn't tell you how far you were supposed to take those commands. Mm -hmm. Just go to this land, you don't know where it is yet, for example. Right. It wasn't, the actual command itself wasn't vague. Right. Um, what he was supposed to do, it's just like how far he was supposed to go in it that was unknown. Sure, yeah. Yeah, God, yeah. God had God had specific plans for them, and He didn't lay it all out what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, he just said, "Well, just just do this. Just just follow what I what I said." But yeah, it was always very clear. Um, I I mean, I, I don't have a perfect knowledge of the Bible, but I can't think of any place where God commanded people to do something where it was somehow unclear, and you know, and they didn't have any real great way to know what it is that um, that God was. Uh, God was telling them to do. Um, another passage that is uh, sometimes brought forth in this discussion 
um, is relates to uh, Eli and Samuel, and the the way this is presented is they say, well, if you if you look back at you know the prophet Samuel, uh, when he was just a boy, he was serving Eli, who was the priest, and so um, Eli, he was this experienced believer who um, who knew how to knew how to listen for the voice of God, knew how to how to you know basically be led by uh, God's voice, um, and that. Um, that Samuel, when he starts experiencing this, he doesn't really know how to listen for the voice of God. And so he's taught by Eli how to do this, uh, you know, so that he's able to, to follow the will of God. And I can see Ben's face because he, he obviously remembers the story. So, <clears throat> um, Unfortunately, sometimes when people make arguments, they hope you don't actually go back and read the text. And this is one of those instances when it's like, once you read the text, it's like, yeah, that's not really what happened. So let's let's look at that. Um, First Samuel, uh, chapter three. First Samuel, chapter three, beginning just right there at the beginning of the chapter. It says, "Now the boy Samuel uh, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Uh, there was there was no frequent vision. Uh, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Uh, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, uh, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Uh, but he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that it was the Lord, uh, that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And of course, from then on, um, the uh, the conversation actually happens between uh, between Samuel and God at that point. So when we consider this passage, the way it's actually written, um, what? How does that? How does that? Um, Square with the presentation that is sometimes given uh, in terms of of uh, Samuel being taught by Eli how to hear the word of God. Any thoughts? Well, it doesn't give that at all. Mm-hmm. Samuel's not having any trouble hearing. It's just he's going to the he's conversing with the wrong person. He doesn't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's talking to them? Yeah. And even when you go on, if you look at the rest of the passage, when God does talk to him, he doesn't say, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, this isn't like that. Oh, we're listening to what God you know, wants us to do. Like, it's like, no, this is what I'm about to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to do what I told, said I was going to do to the house of Eli. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Even the, even the message that he receives doesn't, doesn't match the, the pattern. But, but yeah, I mean, but we see very clearly um, that 
Um, Samuel isn't like it's not that he's getting some impression and he doesn't recognize that it's you know it's the voice of God. It's like he hears something that's so audible that he literally thinks, oh, Eli's calling me. It's like I hear an actual voice, and um, and he has to go and you know check with Eli. It's like, hey, what did what did you want? What did you want? Um, and it's interesting you look at it. Um, Samuel here apparently is not a believer at this point. Um, you know, it, it says that, uh, let's see, where is it? Um, see, the word of God was not yet revealed to him. Yeah. Yeah, the word of God was not yet revealed to him. Uh, so, yeah, Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of God was not yet had not yet been revealed to him. So, at this point, he's just a, you know, just an unbelieving kid. Um, serving, serving Eli, um, and he's hearing this voice. Um, so it's not that he's a you know a believer who's uh, got the Holy Spirit trying to direct him in the way he should go, um, but that he's just there and he's and he hears this voice. Um, and it's also interesting at the in verse one it says. Uh, uh, that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, uh, and there was no frequent visions. Which kind of like if we, you have the idea that like uh, Eli is just like functioning on this thing where he's just constantly getting words from the Lord and knows how to do it, and is, then is teaching Samuel how how it works. Um, it just doesn't seem to square with what it says in, in verse one, where a word from the Lord is rare in these days. Um, so again, this is. Another passage that sometimes people will appeal to to try to um, defend this notion of how it is that we should uh, know the will of God and, and, uh, and follow it. Um, another thing that is sometimes brought up is the idea of listening prayer. Has anybody ever heard of, of listening prayer? No? Okay. Well, that's, a, that's an idea that's sometimes presented. Um, I mean, biblically, I think the idea of prayer is that we are speaking to God, and when we want to know what God says to us, what we should be doing is looking at what the Word of God says. That's where God speaks to us. Uh, but the idea is that basically that your prayer should be um, a, a conversation, and that for part of that, you should be actually listening, um, not just contemplating the Word of God and thinking about, you know, how the Word of God addresses whatever it is you're praying about, but that you should be expecting God to be speaking to you in some way um, while you're while you're praying. Um, that's that's kind of the idea. So there are people that like specifically teach that and they call it, oh, you need to learn how to do listening prayer. Um, and it's I mean it's interesting. The the Bible speaks quite a lot about prayer. Um, I mean, obviously Jesus you know taught us about prayer. Uh, in you know Matthew chapter six, um, Paul talks about prayer in Colossians chapter four and First Thessalonians five and Ephesians six. Um, there's all these discussions uh, about prayer and how to pray, um, but in none of those places do you have any mention of this idea of listening prayer. This idea that part of your prayer should be uh, just expecting God to somehow give you new revelation while you're praying. So, again, just a, another thing that sometimes people will present along these lines that I think is unbiblical. <coughs> now, 
you might ask, you know, why is this why is this important? What's you know what's the uh, what's the dangers of this position here? Um, well, I think that there's at least two dangers. Uh, there may be others, but there's two of them that kind of stand out pretty big to me. Um, one of them is that this is sometimes used uh, as a way to to silence criticism. Um, I know this is this is something I've seen personally a number of times, where um, sometimes people will someone will make a decision. They'll decide, well, this is I'm going to do this, and somebody else comes up and says, I'm not sure that's the wisest decision. Um, well, you know, why is it that you're choosing to do this? Um, and you know, and maybe it's not even a bad thing that they're going to do. Maybe you know, maybe it's just debatable about like what the right course of action is. But they'll say, well, this is this. I I just feel led by God to do this. This is, um, you know, this is this is where God is leading me. Um, again, uh, Kevin DeYoung in his book, he he talks about uh, when he was uh, changing churches. Um, he he talks about how um, you know it was a difficult decision when he was going to move from one part of the country to another part of the country for you know this particular ministry opportunity, and um, and he says that he could have in that case said you know look I I'd really like to stay but I just I really feel like God is calling me to this other place, and so even though what I want to do is stay, I just have to follow God. Um, and um, and he says that like he doesn't think that that would be an appropriate way to approach that. Um, and I think he's right because and and I've I've heard you know people use that type of excuse, um, but it's in a sense it's a way to to make it where nobody can really question the decision. It's like, well, this this uh, this decision I've made, it's based on God's authority. You know, God has commanded me to do this, so you can't really question and say maybe this isn't the best decision, maybe this isn't the wisest decision. Because oh, it's like, oh, well, God has said it. I guess I just have to back off and let you continue with your decision. Um, sometimes this is even used um, for sinful decisions. Um, uh, sometimes people will. They'll they'll choose to go down a sinful path, and when they are confronted about it, they'll say, "Well, I prayed about it, and you know, when God gave me peace about it." Um, and that's I mean that's sometimes an approach that you hear people take. Um, and the idea there is basically, well, you need to back off because God has okayed this. Um, but if it's if it's clearly something that's unbiblical, it's like, well, you know, you may feel peace about this, but it's still unbiblical. Uh, ben. Uh, yeah, no, I just think it seems like a lot of this is dancing around like the fringes of what is actually appropriate mm -hmm. language. Where, like you were, you've, you've hit it at several times, a lot of this should be decided through wisdom, seeking counsel from other people, praying about agreement. And sometimes, and, 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 and you know, God does use the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to prompt us, God does use the Holy Spirit to guide us. Right. And eventually, what we do will be what God wills. Mm -hmm. Right. Ultimately, you even said that. And, and and sometimes it like we do have a piece about it, and that is kind of one mm -hmm. of the things that affect sure. our decision. Sure. But yet it's that trying to bring in the authority of it. Mm -hmm. You could say like I am moving here because I think this is where God is calling me. Sure. But I don't know for certain. It's right. when you like make that authoritative. Uh -huh. It's like it feels like all this is just. 
dancing on the outskirts of what's actually appropriate right. language. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and that's, it's a good good that you brought that up because I don't want to be misunderstood mm-hmm. because but because yes, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and He does prompt us and lead us to do things. Um, and but I mean the thing is is that that is often just like woven together with our understanding of Scripture, our viewing the situation, the wisdom that God gives, the godly counsel of other people. And we try to make decisions that are most consistent with what God has said. Um, and that's the Holy Spirit leading us to do what God has said. I mean, that is what it is to be led by the Spirit. Uh, but yeah, it, it's exactly right. It's like, it's when, you, it's when you apply this to say, oh, well, you can't really question what I'm saying because I've been led by the Spirit to do this. So you just need to back off. Um, that's when it really is the problem. Um, and I mean, I think it's also a problem if you're if you're expecting that, like, if you're making a particular you know ministry decision or whatever it is, if you're just expecting God to give you this definitive, this is what you are to do. Um, I think that's a, a problem as well. Um, so um, again, yeah, definitely don't want to be misunderstood, um, but. This can be used as a way to silence criticism, uh, and that is the way that some people use it. Now, kind of on the opposite side of this um, is that uh, a lot of people um, who have been kind of swept up in this teaching, they're actually um, paralyzed by it. They're actually filled with guilt by it. Um, for them, it, it turns the random thoughts that they have into a new law. Um, where they are afraid was like, oh well, I, I just had this, I just had this thought, this this idea just occurred to me. Is that is that the Holy Spirit prompting me to do this thing? And if I if I don't do it, am I am I sinning against God? Am I disobeying uh, God's will? Um, and so they're just like overcome with uh, with guilt and fear that they're not actually following God's will. Um, and so I think that's another. Uh, you know, real danger of this uh, of this viewpoint, um, and I think it's a much better approach to to yes, trust the Holy Spirit is going to be working in your lives uh, to uh, to lead you to guide you, but that like your decisions shouldn't be made based on waiting for the Spirit to to somehow speak into your ear, but they should be made based on what does scripture say? What do godly people around me that I know, what do they, uh, what do they say should be um, you know, the way I should approach this? And just, and just trust God is going to give you the wisdom to sort through these things and, and do the best you can to make the best decision you can. Um, and realize that if, you know, if God hasn't told you, uh, I mean, you know, obviously God tells you not to sin, so if you have... Uh, options of job A and job B, and one of them is a is a job where you would just be forced to be living in sin, and job B is not, then obviously you should choose job B. But if there's nothing sinful about job A or job B, then you just try to make the best decision you can, um, and you don't have to worry that you're like somehow going against God's perfect will for your life, um, depending on whether you you know pick the wrong one or not. And so. As I'm just uh-huh. considering all of this thing, all of this, it really comes down to more of a, I mean, 
going to God in prayer for wisdom mm-hmm. rather than for guidance. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those... Yeah, it's, and, and again, it depends on how you define those words. Well, it's how you define those words, and it's one of those... You're not looking for new or special revelation, right. but for wisdom in the decisions you're making. Right, right. Yeah, and you're not you're not looking for explicit guidance. Yes. You're you're looking for wisdom. You're looking for uh, for assistance from the Holy Spirit to help you make a good, wise decision. But you're not expecting a like a whole like detailed list. This is exactly what you should do. Ben. But within that, God's providence can seem miraculous at times. Sure. Almost, where people will come to you and like say, "Hey, I've been praying about you, and like I, I, I think I, I just feel like I need to say this to you." And you know, that's not saying that that's an authoritative word of God or something like that. Right. Because some people will try to do that, but sometimes it's like, "Oh, yeah, that that's actually very helpful, and it, it applies to some decision I'm trying to make right now." Right. Or like you're trying to make a decision between two things, and suddenly one of them just shuts down. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, well, it's gonna be, it's gotta be this one then. Right. And God's yes. providence can seem quite miraculous at times. Sure. He's just so powerful, and He knows what's best for us. Yeah, I mean, He is directing all of our lives individually. Even like, I mean, again, I'm saying that we shouldn't be seeking to find out what God's particular will for our individual lives is, because that's never what we're, that's never how we're commanded to make our decisions. But the fact is, he does have that particular will for each of our lives, and he's working that out. And he's using all sorts of means um, in order to accomplish that. But we really just have to look back at that and see it and say, oh, well, look how God worked. Look at all the things that he did to lead me down this path. Um, But if you try to look at it from the other perspective, where it's like, well, what's this exact path that I'm supposed to be following? Um... And you're expecting to get, you know, a, a, a preview of it, so you know. I, I think that's incorrect. It's not that you can't, you don't see it even when it's happening necessarily. I mean, sometimes you, well, I wouldn't have done that, but the, or I even wasn't even seeking that, but I see mm-hmm. that this, these things are set up that I wasn't choosing that, but, uh, or at least to consider something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, I, I don't feel like I'm saying this well. Um. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I I think I, I think I know what you're saying, but yeah, I mean, like even in the circumstance, and it's it's like Ben said, you know, somebody might come up to you and say, hey, I've been praying about you, and you know, this occurred to me. It's I mean, again, it's just like it depends on what type of thing they're saying. Like if somebody comes up to me and says, I've been I've been praying about I I've been thinking about you, I've been praying about your situation, I've been considering this, and it's like I think. Um, maybe you should consider this because it really seems like you know you're really good at this type of thing or something like this might really fit you. Um, that's perfectly appropriate. But if somebody says, you know, God told me that you need to quit your job, you need to just pick up, and you need to move to Texas next week, um, I'd, I'd be like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, that's that's just not a. I, I don't think that God is uh, is you know. Is uh, is communicating to people that way, generally speaking. I mean, if 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 God wants me to do that, I better hear an audible voice. So, well, this gets into the whole continuationism versus cessationism. Well, yeah, oh yeah, debate yeah. too. Yeah, certainly, certainly that that whole thing does come in. So, um, 
So anyway, but those are those are kind of the like the two dangers I see with it is is the uh, the notion of either using it to silence criticism or just being held captive to like you know am I am I able to figure out what God's will is and uh, and follow it. But um, but I think that we need to follow the biblical prescription for how it is that we are to do the will of God, how it is that we are led by the Spirit, um, and that is. The sanctifying work that we talked about last week. Uh, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. He is convicting us of sin. He is reminding us of what we've seen in Scripture. He's giving us wisdom and insight to understand these things. Um, and our decision-making should be based on that. And if that's the case, then we are being led by the Spirit. We're being led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body um, and to, to walk in newness of life. That's what we should be doing, um, I think, rather than seeking to figure out exactly what God has planned for us so that we can make all those individual decisions. But just following what God has commanded to everybody as it applies to our particular situation is how we are led by the Spirit. Any final thoughts or questions? All right. Let's... let's sometimes... Okay. Uh, no decision is the best decision. I'm sorry? Sometimes no decision is the best decision. Yeah, that's that's true. Sometimes no decision is, is the best decision. I mean, it's like sometimes you're presented with situations where it's like, it's really tough to know what to do. Um, and we just have to, you know, we just have to pray for wisdom. So, um, and then make the best decision we can and, you know, realize that in the end, it's, it's going to be what God has willed for our life individually, um, but, but it's hard for us to see that beforehand. So. Anything else? Right, let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your guidance. We thank you uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit leads us, and uh, God, I pray that we would just strive diligently to to read your word, to understand it fully, uh, and God, to understand how we should apply it to our lives. And God, that we would um, not just know what we should do, but that we would uh, actually do it. Uh, Lord, it's just so easy to even know what it is that we should do and, and seek to do something else because uh, doing the right thing is often very difficult. Uh, but God, I just pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, work in us to, uh, to obey your law, to be conformed to the image of Christ, and uh, Lord, just that you would receive glory in your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>